welcome to Only Fools and Brotherly Forces. Today we're going to be talking about Series 1, Episode 2, Go West, Young Man. Alright, Jamie, so what do we think about this episode? Um, I, I actually love this episode. There's, there's a couple of episodes in the first season um, where I've seen them so many times, I almost not don't like them, but they're a little bit... I know them so well, and they're not quite as funny or up to the standard. But this one isn't one of them. Um, I was—I actually got this episode confused that the title was a different one before we started, and I was like, "Oh, this isn't my favourite." But actually, as soon as it started, I realised that I loved this episode. Yeah, this is a good episode. It's, it's definitely got a lot more to it than the last episode. There's a lot. There's a lot more scenes. Uh, there's a lot of more different sets and and changes. Like they've they've gone a little bit deeper in this episode there there are many more characters involved and stuff um so it's cool there's lots there's lots to enjoy and there's lots to talk about so um we should uh, probably jump right in with the with the opening scene really this episode actually got uh, the least amount of views from the entire series, um, which is interesting because I think it's one of the stronger episodes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I guess you, you're always going to get more maybe for the first one and then maybe people weren't convinced so they just drop straight off and then maybe start to come back again. I think this one should have convinced them. This is a very, very classic, uh, classic, great episode. So yeah, scene one. Yeah, we actually open in the exact same way we opened the first series. I don't know if you noticed this. Um, it again comes up with a close up of the two tellies and yes, pans indeed, out yeah, from yeah. there. One hundred. I, I don't know if they ever do this again. I'd never noticed that they did the same thing twice before. I don't know if they, I'm. I'm really intrigued to see if they do this with the next episode. I don't remember this being a thing. I think it happens more than once. I'm sure the TVs get utilised. But yeah, it's, it's strange. Um, but yeah, anyway, so uh, they start off in the flat again and. Uh, we hear for the very first time, I think it's the second line in the uh, in the show, is Dell's very famous line. This time next year, we'll be millionaires. Excellent, lovely to hear. Um, I, I actually noted that uh, you were saying about on the last episode that they were talking and, and ignoring each other what they were saying. The exact same thing happens again when Rodney said he was dreamt he was drowning and they're basically having their own conversations and Grandad's showing some sort of uh, interest into what's happening. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When Dale's just waffling on about second-hand Yeah, car. they're all on their own planets a little bit, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we get a couple of the firsts as well. We get a first mention of Mickey Pierce yeah, as well. Yeah, this was, this was a good, interesting thing. Uh, I, the funny thing with the Mickey Pierce thing was, and this is, this is true with another moment in this episode as well, do you know how long it takes before you actually meet Mickey Pierce? No, I was curious, actually. Series 3, episode 2. Oh, yeah? So he's introduced straight away, second episode, really, really early, yet we don't see him for three years. Quite, that's quite long. Actually face-to-face. So, yeah, it's interesting. I, I want, There's a few characters in Only Fools and Horses that I mentioned early and then we meet later, some we never meet. Um, and I always wonder which, if, how many of these characters were decided early on to be, OK, eventually we'll meet these, or maybe we will, maybe we won't. But with Mickey, I kind of think being Rodney's best friend, it was maybe always inevitable we'd meet him. But yeah, it took a while. I was curious as to how I, how you would picture Mickey Pierce um, during his introduction and actually how far <laughs> it would take you until he actually comes up. So yeah, that's that's quite an interesting interesting point. Yeah, I definitely don't picture him as he actually is. Like I, when he talks no. about him being his best friend who's kind of edging in on his woman, I didn't imagine a gangly you know, 80s kind of scar, trilby hat-wearing dude. 
Um, no. But yeah, it's, it's a look, it's cool. He's portrayed a little bit slimy as well as what I've written down. I think that's quite quite accurate. It's, it's, it's played out very well. Um, as the yeah, that certainly has played out. Yeah, we also we hear about Rodney's um, well, the start of Rodney's quite unsuccessful string of love relationships. It's a bit of an ongoing theme throughout um, some of the first few seasons. Some of the episodes completely focusing on it. And it's very funny. Um, so that comes to light, and obviously Dell goes on the wind up, mentioning that he saw him dancing with Nicky Pierce. I don't know if that actually was true. It does get mentioned later in there, but it's hard to know if if Dell is is taking the piss a lot of the time or if he's actually just winding him up but I wouldn't be surprised totally yeah I, I totally thought about that It d- was that a real thing he saw or is he winding him up we'll never know no. it definitely happens multiple times but it's it's them all over it's a good little wind up uh, anything else you want to cover in that first scene? Uh, no I think that's uh, that's well covered let's uh, jump along to the next one and uh, we get to meet uh, our first new character for the episode which is Boise uh, love Boise what a legend is Boise love Boise to pieces <laughs> such a good character I can't help but analyse the characters when they first come on to see how they grow. Obviously, we made a comparison for, for Trigger. But Boise is pretty bang on, I think, from the very yeah. good point. He is exactly as he is for the whole thing. Clearly a bit dodgy. He says for his bit on the side, he's portraying, getting portrayed as a bit a bit suspect and a little bit of a wheeler dealer and a, a bit of a posh kit as well. Um, so that, I think that was spot on. Yeah, I found that bit on the side thing interesting because, of course, later on we do meet his wife and I'm pretty sure she's mentioned later in the series, although we don't meet her for a long time. I seem to recall she's called upon very early when people are talking in reference to her, but we don't meet her for a very long time. I I don't think they ever really crawl back to the idea of him having a bit on the side or anything like that. No. So that's... And and you have quite a... Obviously, they end up having their own series, spin-off, and they're like a very close couple, family. And I think that's almost a... I don't necessarily think this one joke actually works long-term with them as characters. No. Um, but but for his initial building of his character, it's perfect. It yeah, sets yeah. the scene for the kind of guy he is. For yeah. sure, for sure. So, uh, we, we've got to talk about the E-Type Jaguar, just oh. very briefly. Beautiful what, car. What a car. We don't want to get hung up on cars, but but I mean, we're both pretty good fans of Jags. Our, our, our father had quite a few, and and um, yeah, that is, it is a beautiful piece of machinery. Yeah, it's great. I mean, okay, so they're there to buy a car, and the one they're buying is, I mean, basically a chassis and lots of things that are broken. And uh, they end up idolising this E-Type Jaguar and agree to take it home and store it, so to hide it from uh, Boise's bit on the side. Now, um, the next scene is them taking the E-Type Jag away and hiding it in the garage while uh, Rodney then nearly crashes the very dodgy car that they actually stole. I notice this garage, we see, I think, three different garages in the whole time of Only Fools and Horses. This garage that they put the car in, there's nothing else in it. No, the one one much later that I recall from um, one of the episodes is much larger. Obviously, we see it right at the very last, well, the last initial episode... We see it, and that's quite large as well. Yeah, I mean, there's the one from It's Only Rock and Roll, which is massive. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking That's about. really yeah, weird. Yeah. You never see that again. It's just some massive... It's almost like a mini warehouse. And then yeah. then they go back to the other one, which you see yeah, throughout the later uh, Series 8, 9, or whatever they are. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was sort of a vaguely interesting thing that they keep changing and never really talk about. Um, but anyway, so they bought this car, and they instantly, after paying 25 quid for it, decide to try and sell it for 199 having 
change nothing but removing the oil warning light so you can no longer see that it's oil's dodgy. Oh, that, they've polished it up a little bit. It's looking quite clean. Rodney's done a good job. Yeah, he's, he's polished it, yeah. What, what I think is... What I think is very funny in this is um, it's actually a huge repetition of the physical comedy again. So um, you get the guy come along chesting the shocks and again Rodney spills his tea, which is a complete repetition of the physical comedy of the first episode. Yeah, the exact same joke. Which I think is beautifully beautifully British to have uh, a bit tea being spilled twice as a funny gag in two two out of two episodes. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's something that all Brits can relate to. I mean, you can't go wrong with spilling of tea. I mean, it's a a safe gag. Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm sure this is one of those trivias that most people have noticed because it's so obvious, is, of course, the Aussie bloke who's buying the car off them in this episode is the same bloke who um, turns out to be Jumbo Mills, Del Boy's old um, friend who moves to Australia. In the episode entitled yep. "Who Wants to Be a Millionaire," which is the reference to yeah. this time next year, we'll be millionaires. So that's, that's a slightly interesting crossover. I tell you what, I thought was quite quite funny, and I had to look into because he he's he's an Englishman who's gone to Australia in that episode. In this, he plays an Aussie, and the actor is a guy called Nick Stringer. I was curious if he actually was any yeah. Australian. And he isn't. He's he was not born in Turkey. No, couldn't be less Australian. <laughs> born in Turkey, uh, he actually also um, had a very small part in uh, Goodnight Sweetheart. Um, oh, he really? played an undercover police officer. Um, uh, for anyone who doesn't know Goodnight Sweetheart, I imagine most of you do. It was another um, series that Nicholas Lyndhurst was in. Um, played a time travelling um, uh, person, basically. Won't go too into that, but to have a little bit in that. But yes, very very English. I'm not sure why the Australian. Part, but I think it was just uh, something else to make some jokes on. Yeah, it was. It's weird that they brought him in twice to do an Australian accent, which made it so obvious that it was the same person to everyone. Because it's only two times in every like hundred episodes as ever an Australian. It's weird that you get the same actor who's not even Australian to do it. Like that just seems like a very weird casting choice. I, I don't Maybe see... it's just on his like CV and repertoire can do Australian accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just think it's a bit like breaking the fourth wall a little bit when you have the same character come back and it's so obviously the same character. I don't know, I think it's a bit naff, but, you know, whatever, we'll let them off. Yeah, we're talking about early, well, kind of, uh, the crossover, early 80s, I mean, I'm not that fast. If anything, it's charming because it's a little bit, a little bit naff. Naff, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's got a kitsch almost. Because if you are the best, but you don't ask questions, then brother, I'm your man. Um, but we'll, we'll dwell a bit on this on on this car because I found it. Of the, there seems to be a big split here between Del Boy and Rodney, and this kind of thing does come up a lot. Where Del Boy is dodgy, we all know he's a little bit dodgy, breaks the law a little bit. But where Rodney feels he's going over the line, and Rodney tries to be all high and mighty, this car is the first and very good example of that because Rodney believes it's a death trap. It's just unsafe. Nothing on it works. And Del Boy's just like, oh, you know, come on, it's all fair game, you know, bought a scene type thing. This is an interesting dynamic that comes up many times. And obviously Rodney always tries to play the, you know, 80s student of being very, like, you know, socialist and all that kind of stuff. But he can never see it through. No, he just wants money more. <laughs> exactly, you know. They, and, there's the, uh, and there's the joke where he goes... That is your handful of silver, Del. That is nothing more than blood money. Oh, Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, all right then. Oi, offer that's mine! <laughs> uh, eventually, in a later scene, Delboy does agree after much uh, 
after much complaining from Rodney to fix the brakes on this uh, chap's car, um, which is which is a, a a nice gesture and I think kind of brings Dell a little bit back to towards that. Okay, he's bent, but he's still a good bloke. I think we're we kept kept wanting to like him. We don't want to think of him as an actual a bad guy who's selling properly dangerous cars to people but i think maybe the fact he's australian helps him get away with that a little bit a little bit more i don't know how much animosity there were for the aussies back then but i feel like little was probably known about them and but we also get a little uh french phrase from dell as well um i thought it might be interesting just to have a a wee translation of some of these french phrases just just so we can all learn a little bit of french but also understand the the randomness of uh, some of the things that he comes out so that what he quotes in this is as follows it's beautiful though isn't it eh? beautiful what do you think sonnet lumiere wouldn't you say which um it, it, anyone speaks or understands french at all it's it's quite easy to understand it's sound and light so he's saying this car is very sound and light it, it it's not its worst quite frankly they're going to get worse they're going to get worse later in the episode but yeah so they've they've sold the car to go back to the flat um i don't know why but the poem here we'll we'll, we'll quickly play it as i was walking through earl's court into a pub i was lured where a nosy pom said where are you from as i downed the amber fluid i said get it straight i'm an aussie mate and i'm fixing to get plastered but the beer is crook and the birds all look like you, you pommy granddad. <laughs> I always loved it. I always thought it was just a fun little thing. I've, it's never anything he does again. Uh, I don't know. He does do something later on in another episode where he plays the didgeridoo. Sun to rise, does she come in the morning? Which is quite actually similar and that is yeah. even better possibly because he's drunk as a skunk when he does it which is the same episode with the same australian bloke from this one so those two are really brother and sister episodes aren't they for sure yeah, yeah, yeah. lots of lots of crossovers there uh we also get uh granddad's first little first little story in here where just to kind of confirm his old fuddy-duddiness when he talks about uh being in bed with his um being in bed with his wife you wouldn't remember when i married your grandmother <laughs> no. Her asking, um, what would you like for dinner tomorrow? And he's saying, steak and kidney pudding. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Grandad more as, uh, in some of the more Grandad dominant episodes, but I think they're very slowly building him up. I mean, he hasn't had a lot to do, but I feel like every line he's had has, has pretty much been gold. Yeah, I think at the moment he's just part of the furniture. Um, yeah, quite quite literally, in the, in these first episodes, I don't think they've um, sort of decided what the gags are going to draw on later on. We know him for so many things. I mean, he's only really in uh, in the first, I think, three seasons. Yeah, three um, seasons, yeah. eighteen and, episodes. Um, yeah. yeah, and but but very quickly we get an understanding for some of the the things that he's famous for, which we'll touch on more um, when 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 they uh, show themselves. Um, but anyway, so we, we go on to this uh, past the stage. Rodney is now being doing the socialist thing and then basically trying to convince Dell to come along clubbing with him because he hasn't got any uh, money. And actually, uh, uh, one of the one of my favourite parts of this, although not my favourite gag, is um, is this one here. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. <laughs> we can take Boise's E-type Jaguar. The Jag? Are you sure, Dell, what upon your shoulders be it, son? Let's go. <laughs> Rodney? 
Absolutely great gag, very, very funny. Um, Rodney's obviously thought about this, showing some of his intelligence and a myriad of misdirection. Um, and Dell's just like, yes, and he's like, oh, hang on. <laughs> I mean, I, I said, that I touched on this very shortly last episode, like, Rodney is sometimes the intelligent one, like, he's meant to be the book smart one, and this is the first time we see him kind of trick Dell and get the upper hand, so it's good fun, and you do occasionally see him do that, um, it's kind of underhand way, but obviously Dell Boy spots this one straight away, but it was effective, and before you know it, they're heading up west on the pool in the E-Type Jaguar. That's where it all comes from, there's a mystery. It's like the changing of the seasons and the tides of the sea. Which has got to be a great thing to have done in 1981, rolling up up west yeah, in a jag. Especially in, in Dell's, uh, how do you describe it in a later, later episode? Like a, a yacht sailing across a sunlit, um, a, a sunset or something, <laughs> when they look at his plumage, looking rather suave and debonair. That outfit is amazing. It's really like Miami Vice-esque, like bright red shirt, white tie. I think the only thing they missed, and I looked for it, because I don't think you see it in the first scene with him, he's not wearing white shoes, which I felt would have really finished off the outfit. I, I was looking for white leather shoes, and that would have been great. But it's still brilliant. Medallion, I mean, he, he is someone else. Uh, but yeah, so they go, up, they go up west, and they find themselves in a grotty little... They call it club, but it's kind of like a ropey wine bar-looking place. At the ripe old time of 7.30 in the evening. <laughs> Which is a ridiculous time to be hitting anywhere, quite frankly. Uh, we get another little great French phrase. Where he beckons the uh, the waiter with garçon la petite pois, and which I'm sure a lot of people will know. Yeah, I mean garçon means. waiter la petite pois, you know, calling him a pea. Very yeah. very weird. And then straight afterwards, when he replies in French, the waiter, and this happens a lot when he Dale speaks French, and someone tries speaking French to him, and Dale boy gets completely stuck. Do you know what he replies with? Yavol. Yavol. German. Like what the hell? Yeah. Where did that come from? But we get another f- a first with the uh, one of Dell's um, exotic cocktails, as yes. he calls it. Um, I think it's I think it's very funny. Um, just before that happens, we also get another some, uh, something that Dell does in terms of a physical comedy that comes up later when they venture. Uh, he says Roger Moore drank one of those, and the gay guy goes, oh, "I wouldn't put anything past her." Dave uh, Dell gets his um, his sort of neck tweaks on Wide this boy. Like, sort of curious, this sort of like yeah. awkward sort of like what was he doing like governor a bit of this that and the other and that comes up quite a bit in the other one I thought that was quite quite cool that he's brought that in nice and early all the jokes with the uh, with the waiter they're a bit kind of carry on you know classic camp gags I mean it's it's easy comedy but they've actually I think they've done it quite well they've not overdone it um, it is funny I think. Nothing that they do then, they don't step over any lines. I think you'd probably get away with that entire scene even now. The only the only thing I thought was ever so slightly, he called him a bandit. Oh yeah, that, I, that, I, I, I tricked that. Brilliant. Dancing our backs to the wall, it's it's just on the cusp. Yeah, that's probably getting dodgy. When it, when he starts to yeah have that kind of fear of him, that's a bit bit dodgy. Um, that, that cocktail, the Caribbean Stallion, can we just quickly list off how Del Boy describes it? By all means. What you want is uh, you want a shot of tequila and a shot of coconut rum and one of creme de menthe. Then you want a smidgen, just a smidgen of Campari with uh, the merest suggestion of Angostura's bitters. Right? You top that up with fresh grapefruit juice and you shake it. Do not stir. Right? Pour that slowly over broken ice, garnish with a slice of orange, slice of lime, 
your occasional seasonal fruits. Top that off with a decorative plastic umbrella, two translucent <laughs> straws, and voila. It sounds a little bit brilliant and a little bit horrendous. I mean, I'm I'm quite I'm not uh, completely unknowledgeable with cocktails, but it sounds like a tequila sunrise on ecstasy. It's just I want one. I, I, I'd have one. I I would. I, I, I actually thought the only thing I don't have in my cupboard is Campari. Otherwise, I would have would have tried to make cool. it. Make it. Tell me what it's like. I'm sure you can find some Campari. And and obviously brings on a different a great gag as well when uh, he goes through all this ages and uh, goes on with this for ages. And there, Rodney just goes off a lager, please. Yeah. This is also we get another another first here, which has come back to many times, which is. Rodney's, um, well, let's call it a fetish, let's call it what yeah. it is, let's call it a spade a spade. Rodney's fetish for uniforms, more specifically policewomen, um, which gets him into all sorts of uh, palaver in future episodes. But in this one, I mean, the way Rodney describes it as he was trying to dress up his girlfriend without her knowing, like, without her realising. <laughs> this is this is unbelievably brilliant. Like when, and the way when he's describing through it as well. Yeah, like buying her the different parts at different times. Like she's never going to twig. It's the weirdest thing. It's so weird. Um, well, first of all, a little bit on that one. We know, you know what happens. They end up going to chat into a couple of birds, and they turned out to be a couple of geezers. What I do really like at the end of the scene is Del completely smashes his drink. I don't know if you you noticed it, <laughs> but he tried. lugs it so quickly. Like, smash, 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 chug, 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 and that's it. They're out of there. One other thing, did you notice the price of the drinks? Um, was it like three quid he said he gets it for and it was five quid or something? It was seven quid. Seven okay. quid for a cocktail and half a lager. That must have been loads back then. I mean, that's not completely ridiculous well, he's now. Bought, he bought the car for 25 quid. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah, it, that, that's. I mean, you pay five quid for a, a cocktail in some places and two quid for half a lager in some places now. I mean, that must have been... Crazy money back then. No wonder he went mad. It was a classy establishment. Yeah, in the West End of London. I'm sure it's on a different level. But yeah, I found I found that kind of uh, comparison interesting. Uh, but anyway, so into, into the next club where they're hoping to have a bit more success. Um, coming to the uh, club, we've got a nice uh, tune that's sort of um, becoming of the, of the era. Nice little bit of disco. Love that tune. Um, it's, it's a little bit yep. 70s throwback, but I guess it's, it's only 81, so we're still just off the back there. But this place is very, like, disco. Everyone's wearing white, they're dancing. Bit of disco in the background. Great, love it. Bit, bit of, like, uh, we never. I don't think we ever see a scene like this again in the whole series of that kind of, like, 80s club thing. Um, so that, that was cool, a nice little... Uh, Nice little moment. So uh, Rodney, uh, Freud, I can't remember what Dale describes him as, but some sort of uh, spotting bird thing says uh, manages to find another couple of women um, for Dale to go and chat up. And uh, he walks over purposely, not on purposely, dropping his keys um, with the uh, the pretense to uh, to warn them not to uh, not for Dale to put him down and not for Rodney to mention that he's. 35. In actuality, David Jason's 43 in this. 43? Is he that much older than his character? Yeah, yeah, Damn. yeah, yeah. It's quite, it's, it's, it's only eight years, but I mean, he, he does look a little bit old, but I think he ages quite well through the series. Yeah, he stays in that place for a little while, doesn't he? But Yeah, he's a little bit childish at heart, so. Yeah, for sure. I I mean, this this whole classic Del Boy trying to pull by lying through his teeth, I mean, this is a classic... Uh, any kind of classic Cockney thing that I think everyone's seen on TV and probably also tried in their life. Um, and I think 
the the most surprising thing about this whole pulling scene of they talk to the girls who most at, at best appear to be humoring them um is at, at the end of it after many different gags and lies they actually walk away with their phone number and it well, like I, they I, pulled I, I i think that i think it worked so well actually it looked like they were they were laughing so much at the fact that Dell is blagging away and he's got all this um, charisma and he's thinking on his feet and coming out of great things and Rodney's just basically drowning on a sinking ship and got got nothing to <laughs> offer and that dunno works really well and they do they look at each other and generally laugh quite hard a few times and I think they actually are thinking that these guys are trying to be funny on purpose but actually they're completely opposite end of the scale and I think it works and I think it is quite funny yeah I, I guess I maybe didn't quite look into into that level but I I was very surprised there was a part when Del goes to put his hand on her thigh and she in no yeah. uncertain terms pulls it off again um she wasn't having any of it so uh, to see that you know not long later they were um, successful a great attribute of Del's abilities and uh, this this has what uh, is my favourite gag of the episode. What do you prefer, Rodney? What do you prefer? AstroTurf or grass? Oh, I don't know. I never smoked AstroTurf. <laughs> Obviously. Amazing, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and the quote on that. I absolutely pissed myself when I heard that. I, I I completely just forgot about it, and it just crept up beautifully. And it's so funny when when like when you can quote pretty much the whole episode, and you forget something so brilliant as that. It's it's so uh, it's like a little present. It gives again and again and again. I think one of the things with jokes like that is uh, now the first there is many of these jokes in the series. We actually have not had many so far, but I know there's many more that come where. At the time when I first watched it, in fact, the time when we used to watch it so regularly, uh, I wouldn't have got these jokes. You know, that, I think that's a that's a thing that I notice a lot when they talk about things like some of the maybe some of the sex references, but certainly the drug references and stuff like that. Is I you know when I was first watching this at a very young age and even kind of, uh, sort of preteen, I mean this thing was kind of going way over my head. So you come back and you get so many more. You know, th- there was enough jet gags in there for a child, but then you watch it again, and it's just layered. You know, like any uh, any good series should be. For sure, there's there's actually a bit that I noted that we didn't touch on earlier. I'll only rewind for a second. Um, the bit in the flat when Dell says to Grandad to go and get a crate of odor eaters. I had no idea what odor eaters were, and I thought it was generally some sort of food or something when I was a kid. Yes. And most people will know that they're they're essentially like an anti-odor spray or insoles or whatever. Mm. But And the way he says, oh, yeah, I've heard they're good. Like It does sound like food, and then it's funny, you know, you don't even have to go back too far, and then you realise that it's just another layer to the joke again. There's quite a few topical jokes there sometimes as well, references to to people that haven't really stood the test of time and no one really knows who they are. So um, obviously th- th- some of these jokes can be difficult if you weren't around at the time, but th- there's very few. This whole thing I think still ages... Br- I think this is another episode that has just aged brilliantly. Um, and we'll just quickly round it off with... Um, so they leave the club and they've managed to get these girls' numbers against all the odds. And um, they get crashed into by the Aussie in the car they sold to him. Um, 
I think the first classic moment here is obviously Del Boy straight away blames Rodney. Yeah. Even though Del was driving and the guy in the back went into him. So of the three people involved in this crash, the only person who has no responsibility is Rodney. Yet Del Boy turns straight to him. I, I, I also, I notice when they go to the outside shot of the two cars, you can see they've been parked ever so closely together, but there is 100% no damage on that Jag. For obvious reasons. No, I would imagine not. Yeah, yeah. He's the one who's driving me berserk. Why do only fools and horses work? La 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 And it's an interesting story from the um, from the uh, the uh, David Jason's autobiography. This uh, Nicholas and Heard and David Jason got on really, really well, and they kind of bonded very early. And one of the things they bonded over was actually the car. And before this film- particular car, yeah, this particular car. And before filming this scene, they agreed with the uh, with the people on the show to actually be able to go out for a little bit of a drive with it. So they went nice. out cruising for like twenty minutes or something and got lost. Oh, really? Because they were just driving, cheering about the car, and they nearly completely screwed up the whole scheduling of the episode because it took them so long to get back again <laughs> that everything was just a complete mess because they got lost. Oh, brilliant. Because um, they were just you know, just making jokes and driving around in the E-Type Jaguar, which just sounds like a great place to be. I could totally see it happening, driving around the streets of London. It'd be great. Um, but yeah, I mean, the close on this episode for me is a tiny bit dissatisfying. I mean, it's a gag, of course, and, me- and they d- there are a few episodes where they do this. But I never like the episodes that aren't kind of wrapped up of the Aussie goes running after them as they kind of run off into the sunset. But... If you think about it here, you've got someone running after him to beat him up. You've got Boise's wrecked E-Type Jaguar sitting in the middle of the street. None of these things are ever called back to. And I, I, would I think, have liked you, it I think you take this far too seriously. That's, that's, that's a very serious comment. I know it's a sitcom, but I would like it if... It's an opportunity almost for a joke, because they do sometimes refer to old things. I'm amazed Boise never brings up that time that Del Boy ruined his Jag. Like, you'd think that's something that would come up. I think that happens quite a lot, though. I think I think part of the the thing about Only Fours and Horses is a lot. Almost all episodes do work very independently. A lot of mm. storylines don't follow on. Obviously, we have people like girlfriends and stuff coming in, but they are they are either they're starting and finished in half an hour or later on a bit longer. And I think they're quite good at that. They they fit in this thing where they try and succeed and fail most of the time, as we spoke about. Um, and I think it is generally wrapped up. Sometimes it's closed off very nicely and we find out what's everything that's going on with everyone at the end. And then sometimes it's just left on like a slapstick sort of outro. Like that is a little bit slapstick, almost like Benny Hill again or whatever, like people running around. Um, but sometimes it's just like that. And I, I think that's, I think that's fine. I think, I don't think you can think too seriously into that. Well, you can. Yeah. I, I know, I know it's a sitcom and not a drama, but I think one of the things that especially in the later episodes, Only Falls does so well, is when they do begin to get those kind of running story arcs through multiple episodes and whole series. Um, but that is definitely a development that happened, happens later, and it's it's clear to see that isn't a thing from the start. Um, but yeah, so that's um, that's basically our episode. Yeah, um, I, I, like I said, I, I do love that episode to pieces. I think it's got a, a nice... Uh, a nice story it goes all over the place we get a lot of things that we don't get in other episodes from the future on and i think it's very very funny episode yeah i uh, i think it's good loads of firsts that are constantly called back to will definitely point out every single time they come back to some of these things 
Um, and like we said in the last episode, I love how so many concepts were thought, so many things you think of as being essential parts of Only Falls were there so early on. Like These characters were so fully formed, and I think it's awesome. Um, but yeah, looking forward to more first. And we'll catch you for our next episode. What is our next episode? We were going to introduce it. Oh, yeah, our next Do you know what? Once again, haven't checked. Uh, oh, getting very, very bad at this. Yeah, so the next episode is Cash and Curry. Um, cash and Curry. Oh, yeah, Cash and Curry, not Cash and Curry. Cash and Curry, yeah. Um, definitely not what I think is going to be one of our favourite episodes, uh, watching back from the first series. Uh, maybe not one of the ones that's aged as well. There's obviously some uh, lots of... Uh, minorities issue and stuff like that in this episode so it's going to be uh, interesting to see how that's um, how that's changed but I'm, lo- but I'm looking forward to it so yeah tell your uh, tell your friends and family anyone that you might have watched it with as well I'm, I'm actually enjoying doing this podcast even more than I thought I would um, so hopefully there's going to be many many more episodes to go and we can all uh, enjoy it together we'll leave you now with uh, one tune from the episode which we might do a bit more of moving forwards it's a great little disco tune I hope you enjoy it and we'll catch you for our next episode see you then thanks as always for listening to the podcast if you'd like to get in contact with us you can find us at facebook slash only fools brothers twitter we are there at only fools bros or you can send us a longer email at only fools brothers at gmail.com um, if you want to be an absolute legend, you can drop us a review or a comment on whatever your preferred podcast platform is. I would really appreciate it. Thank you very much.